The Start On Demand. On demand. It's been almost one year since Southern Manitoba got walloped by that unusually early October snowstorm. Loren headed out to Portage La Prairie for today's show, since that area was among those particularly hard hit. We learned a few days ago that Hudson's Bay Company is closing its downtown Winnipeg location. Now the question is, what's next? And we're giving away gift cards for Enigma Escapes this week. And if you've ever done an escape room, you know you can't get out without teamwork. So today, we heard your stories of how teamwork helped you win the day. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Monday, October 5th podcast for The Start. It was one year ago this week. Here's Global's Brittany Greenslade from October 10th, 2019. Manitoba is getting pelted with its first real storm system of the season. Rain, snow, sleet, slush. A little bit of everything winter. I absolutely hate it, (laughs) especially this. The entire southern part of the province is under winter storm watches and warnings and a potential for up to 30 centimeters of snow by the time the weekend is over. Bunny bear. You like it? (laughs) Yeah, I love the snow. Oh, it's great. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not so nice. Um, Shoes are wet. I'm not very happy about it. Winnipeg ended up getting 35 centimeters of snow. Some parts of southern Manitoba got over 70 centimeters. And one area that was particularly hard hit was Portage La Prairie, which is where Lorraine McNabb finds herself this morning. Lorraine, what are you doing in Portage? Well, I'm revisiting some of the people and the places that I spent uh, a day with a year ago or just under a year ago because Portage, as you mentioned, was one of those communities that, like Winnipeg, its tree canopy was impacted, hydro lines were down. I'm just looking at a tweet that I shared October 15th, 2019, about just the, the row upon row and mile upon mile of hydro lines that were toppled. And so... We're coming back to see uh, how the community is doing, what's changed, what we've learned from it. And we're going to visit with some of the people that let me into their home, quite literally, Brett. I think it was just under a year ago that uh, I convinced a Portage La Prairie resident, Kirk, to fire up his generator. He was on day four without power and uh, he let me work out of his shop because it was the only place I could get power to do my job too. And so... I can't wait to hear how people have been doing and also what we've learned. I think we had this huge chat a year ago about, are you prepared to be without power two, three, five, ten, twelve days? And I think the answer for most of us is no. And did we fix that since then? I don't know about you, Greg, but I had lots of talks in our house about, okay, we need more batteries, we need more flashlights, even candles. And I can't honestly say I've made much of improvement on that front should another storm like that come again. I confess to being in the same boat with you so we can paddle together perhaps in circles or maybe forward as we look back and it seems as though this storm was far more than just a year ago with everything that we've been through since then but at the same time when we look back and realize that you can still see some of the damage to the tree canopy there are still I know I have a tree where the city came and they they trimmed it up quite nicely but they missed a couple of branches that were severely damaged and if you look around you'll you'll see things like that around the city to a great extent you wouldn't realize that we went what we went through the 100 million 
million worth of damage that hydro talks about, Brett. It's a massive number. It was a massive disruption. And we talk about rescheduling weddings and other special events this year in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, that was something people were scrambling to do Thanksgiving weekend last year. I actually attended a wedding last year on Saturday, October 12th at Pine Ridge Hollow, which that, that it was weird because that I was at the rehearsal on Thursday, uh, Thursday evening at Pine Ridge Hollow, and they barely got, like they got a little bit of rain and a tiny bit of snow and then we went to, what is it, Prairie's Edge in Kildonan Park for the rehearsal dinner. And the park was in the midst of getting walloped by the snow. I think it just started by the time we got there. And by the time I left, I had what felt like a foot of snow in my car. I don't think it was quite that much. But trees were already bending and branches were already falling off in the park. And the storm had really just started. And uh, by Saturday, again, Pine Ridge Hollow didn't get hit that badly. But it was a, enough of a mess. So... Yeah, And, Loren, you'll remember the Blue Bombers played a game in a, probably a third full stadium on Saturday afternoon, and I was looking at the highlights of that game. The, the Bombers beat the Alouettes that afternoon. The sun was shining for the most part. It was cold. It was cool. I wouldn't say even cold, but you would never have known once you got into IG Field that there had been a massive snowstorm that had wrapped up really in the wee hours of that morning. The the gargantuan amount of work that was done to pull off that game, which a lot of people plain and simply couldn't get to, was incredibly impressive. I think if you ask everyone today, every Winnipegger and many Manitobans will have that story. Yeah, I remember walking out of my house and thinking, you know, the snow fell. It was a Thursday night pre-Thanksgiving. The snow started falling. You knew it was thick because power was going out all over the place. Then you wake up in the morning and you go for that walk or you try to drive into work or wherever you were that day and you think, "Uh uh-oh. But it was still days. You mentioned the effort that was just to clean that stadium. It was still days before we even knew the, the extent of the damage to our trees and our power lines. And months of work that went into repairing those and I'm it wasn't until you see the damage that you realize oh yeah that's that's why people's power is not back on right now it's not just one or two poles it's thousands thousands of them by the end of the day and it was actually that storm that was the storm that made me finally finally get winter <laughs> tires oh because, yeah yeah because I, I had a date on the Friday night <laughs> I went to the non-such brewery, yeah, and uh, it was a Friday night, and it was still snowing. It was a mess outside. Um, I, I almost couldn't get out of my parking lot because I had to drive up this ramp, and I made it just to the top, and I couldn't, I couldn't get over it. I had to back the car up and then take a real run at it. I almost ran somebody over who was walking through the parking lot. And I thought, okay, it's it's time. If this is going to be my situation, I need winter tires. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, so it was that storm that made me finally do it. Uh, Loren McNabb is in Portage La Prairie this morning. For those just tuning in, Loren, why are you there? Well, I'm here because it was just under a year ago that Portage got hit with that massive storm, sort of places like Arburg, Ashern, and of course, Winnipeg. And Brett, we were talking a few minutes ago just about the idea that you didn't really realize how bad it was until you started walking around in the days afterwards. And so I'm bringing on a very special guest who let me into his yard and home last year to help give me power because he was running by... A generator, so I'm pleased to welcome back to the show Kirk Gisling. Thank you for the time, Kirk. You bet. Good morning, Lauren. It's been so 
uh, such an unusual year. You know, it's hard to believe that it's been a year because so much has happened in the past uh, 10, 11, 12 months. But a year ago, I was standing here with a parka on, winter boots. It was cold because so much snow had fallen. I arrived here about four days after the storm hit. When you woke up the morning after the storm, just before Thanksgiving, what was going through your head? Well, quite frankly, it looked like a war zone. I mean, there was four-wheel drive trucks stuck on the middle of the road. There's power lines down across the road. You had to zigzag mile roads just to make it to town. So power lines were just snapped off like they were toothpicks, all straight north of here, right to the lake. It was just, it was awful. Had you ever seen anything like that before? Never, no. And and you talk to, you know, older, senior people, and they've never seen it, so... Well, I know the the aftermath was incredible. I'm wondering at what point did you realize that this was good, you were going to be in it for the long haul as a community? Because I was here, like I said, four or five days afterwards. There was mile upon mile of hydro line down, trees snapped. It wasn't going to be a quick cleanup. It was pretty clear. Yeah, no doubt. And like some of the early rumors or speculation was that we were going to be down for a long time. But, you know, you really got to give a shout out to Hydro that they got us going uh, what I think in record time for what damage was actually there. You had a generator running when I showed up at your property. I think you had a couple of them, uh, gas power generators. Yep. How, in the end, how many days without power were you? I was 11 days. Wow. So what sort of challenges was that for you and your family? Well, <laughs> actually, for the first couple of days, it was almost like camping. So uh, it wasn't that bad, but that sure started to wear you out after a few days, and especially getting ready for work. I mean, you're trying to get ready by candlelight to, to get into town to go to work. Um, my wife ended up using our camper to get ready to to uh, go to, to her work. So, yeah, no, it was... Uh, it was quite a challenge. The, uh, my wife and daughter were getting a little stir-crazy by the next week, and we ended up just going to a hotel just so we could have some normalcy and some power. <laughs> so there's, the, there's no lights, there's no, the fridge is running barely, like you, you, your generator allowed for some things to work, correct? Yeah, yeah. No, I had two little ones, one on each side of the house, and one kept all the electronics going so that my daughter wouldn't go crazy, and <laughs> the other one did the, the fridge and whatever we needed in the in the kitchen so because there's the there's one thing not to have the electricity to not have the lights on to not have your stove working and then of course you got to throw in the wi-fi internet situation which we all rely on <laughs> yeah. cell service here it can be a challenge the best of times but around that storm it must have been hard just to communicate just to to get repairs done and work going oh yeah no it was uh, definitely a challenge so you're also, I'm not speaking with Kirk Gisling, who's a resident of Portage La Prairie, but he's also the owner of Avenue Honda Polaris. And so when I arrived at your shop uh, in the days after that storm, your phone was ringing off the hook. What was the number one demand? Uh, generators were absolutely flying off the shelf here. In fact, we sold out a few times. Um, and luckily, we've got a good relationship with some of our peer Honda dealers that were able to transfer us a, a, a stock and keep us going. But like, I think we sold 70 generators that next week. And uh, yeah, it was just unprecedented. How um, much more would that be than normal? Is that 10 times, 15 uh, times the normal e amount? Easily, yeah. No, normally you'd be selling onesie twosies. <laughs> and, you know, it just, uh, everybody was in panic mode. <laughs> yeah, well, businesses had to keep operating. People wanted to get the generators for them at home. I'm curious, because we had that chat last year about what you learned from something like this, right? I mean, how prepared are we for the possibility of a storm hitting our own communities and 
A, having to be snowed in, not even be able to get down the driveway. As you mentioned, four by fours were stuck in the roads. Then there's the whole power equation. So how have generator sales been in the year since this? There was that runoff at the start. What about in the months since? I can say all year that generator sales have been uh, up from what they would be in a typical year. And that's just because it's still fresh in people's mind what we went through a year ago. People have learned that they need to be more prepared? Yeah. Yeah, like I know myself, I've even got a outlet getting put on my hydro pole so I can plug a generator right into it so that it'll run the house without having a generator just getting plugged into. Um, split a bunch of wood yesterday, so I've got a good supply of wood to keep the wood stove going. So, yeah, we're just being a little more diligent with being ready. You don't want to get caught out next time. <laughs> That's right. For you, is there one lesson or takeaway uh, of that storm? And I mean, it, it started off with just kind of this pretty event. Wow, look at the snow come. It's pretty thick. It's pretty heavy. And then it was a heavy couple of days just trying to endure and get on. For you, what's the number one takeaway, Kirk? Well, the number one takeaway is to be prepared. You know, have a generator, have fuel, have water, have wood. <laughs> and have a good attitude. And yeah, you, you, you can't do anything about it. So you might as well just make do, right? All right, guys, I'm speaking with Kirk Gisling. He is, of course, a Portage La Prairie resident. He was without power for 11 days last year. He's also the owner of Avenue Honda Polaris. A lot of talk about generators. I know we're going around a year ago. I don't know about you and Brett or Greg, but we need to be prepared. You made a really good point there, Loren, as well, when you talked about how, oh, look at this, it's pretty, the snow is falling, the trees are covered in snow. Like, it really, that's the, the funny thing about nature. It is, it can be beautiful, and yet at the same time, so destructive. Like, as I was going through the Kildonan Park, it was kind of magical seeing the way that the trees were holding the snow because I, I don't think I'd ever seen snow that early where the, there were still leaves on the trees. So they were bent in all sorts of weird shapes, but it was then when I saw all the branches on the ground where I realized this is going to be bad. Yeah, well, that's, that's why the damage was as bad as it was because those leaves were actually holding the thick, heavy, wet snow. If it had just been branches, if all the trees had lost all their leaves, it would have been a much different story. So that extra weight, it doesn't take much and if you know anybody that works with hydro, the amount of weight that just a little bit, two or three millimeters of ice can cause on a kilometer long hydro line, the, the calculations are absolutely insane. So uh, physics, mother nature, destructive and beautiful all at the same time. Teamwork is absolutely crucial. And one of the cool things about an escape room is uh, the different ways that teamwork... Like it, you know you have to work as a team, but the way it ends up coming together, I find, is always surprising. I've done a couple of escape rooms, and it ends up just being sort of this really cool thing where people will step up in ways you didn't expect, right? But that's what happens when you, you convalesce as a team. So we wanted to have a chat about teamwork and instances where you found yourself wondering, oh, I didn't expect to need teamwork to get out of this, but here we are. So Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Braun is here. Jeff Forte is here. Loren McNabb's in Portage La Prairie. Loren, why don't we start with you? Well, I'll just be quick because I want to give a shout out to all the people in this community. You know, we're in such a fortunate position in the roles that we play, right, where people welcome us into their homes or schools or their towns. And even in their worst of times are really kind. And so last year we just interviewed 
Kirk Gislink, a Portage La Prairie resident, I phoned him up on a Sunday and said, is there any chance I could come interview you? And I said, but I don't have power and I need an internet connection. And so at 5 a.m. I show up at his property north of Portage. He's got coffee for me. He's got two generators fired up. He's got an internet connection. He's brought a farmer for me if I want to interview him. And then also the mayor of this town opened up the community center, said, if you want to come in and use our area for internet, for coffee, uh, if we can help you out in any way, we need to get the word out. And so just very quickly, that to me is an example of even in the worst moments when people rise above and work together. I've been so fortunate in this line of work to have those kinds of encounters, hundreds of people along the way who've helped me through. So it's like the teams that you didn't even expect to be on, right? So suddenly your team Portage the Prairie when you weren't uh, 24 hours ago. And so that's my shout out to them today. Well said, Loren. Well yeah, said. Very well said. Uh, Kelly Moore, let's turn to you. Well, I think one of the best team efforts I was ever involved in was our coverage of the 99 Pan Am Games. And, boy, talk about people stepping up. Uh, Brad, I don't know if you remember this or not, but, you know, it was before the days of Internet, so everything that happened happened live. And I'll never forget, we asked people like Kim Babbage to do play-by-play of uh, the, the cycling race out at the Velodrome. And, uh, of course, uh, we also had Crystal Gomancic, who's now our European bureau chief over in London. She did uh, some play-by-play of the fencing gold medal final because there was a Canadian athlete that was doing well there. And it was just an absolutely amazing experience from start to finish. And the teamwork was incredible. The list of talent that was involved, Brett, is absolutely mind-blowing. We've got a a collection of pictures, a a collage of pictures of all the individuals that were with CJOB at that time. And some of them have gone on to become legends of broadcasting, not only here at CJOB, but right across the country. That that is an absolutely wonderful moment in the history of this radio station. One of those legends of broadcasting is Jeff Braun. So let's turn to Jeff Braun now, sir. What's your example? I was going to say the same thing. Kelly stole mine. Uh, the, my job. <laughs> That's not good teamwork. <laughs> I spent the Pan Am Games down at the Forks for the most part. Uh, 12-hour shifts, opping live programming down there from 6 in the morning till 6 at night was my shift every day. And then on the weekends, uh, pulling a double back at the radio station, uh, just pushing the buttons there, helping out sort of things. My car was stolen uh, during the Pan Am Games, which made things even more difficult and frustrating. But uh, but when it ended, I remember, I remember the closing ceremonies. I was again uh, opting for Kelly, uh, who was hosting or, or emceeing our broadcast of the closing ceremonies at the old stadium there. The guess who did that concert? And uh, it, it ended, and we went off the air, and we all just sort of collapsed, and we just like, oh my God, it's over! What a it was a blur. It was a three week blur, and it was uh, one of the most memorable things I've ever been a part of. Wow, kind of wish I would have been a part of this. Jeff Forte, what about you? For me, it'd be, it wasn't last year's storm. This was probably when I was like 18, but uh, we had so much snow, and I had to get gas, and I was in the parking lot of the gas station, and as I'm leaving, my car gets stuck, and the, the guy at the gas station gives me a shovel. I'm shoveling out the car by myself, and it was taking me forever, and all of a sudden, this truck full of these three or four guys come out and actually started helping me out, and I was out within 10 minutes But as I'm just about to leave, a lady actually gets stuck. So now those guys, plus myself, were shoveling her out, getting her out. You know, as a team, like, we were able to get me and that lady out at a very fast time, where alone it would have taken me forever. 
Right on. That yeah, actually that's rem- awesome. It's just strangers. That so. reminds me uh, when I when we worked at 930 Portage, uh, which was between uh, Ruby Street and Lenore Street, and there was a big, big snowstorm on a... It was a weekend. It was just before New Year's. I think it was December 27th or 28th. I can't remember what year, but this would have been probably around 2005 or 2006 because I was working the uh, the crappy weekend morning news shift. Uh, and uh, so it had started snowing already by the time I left work. There was already, I think, 10 centimeters of snow on the ground, and I figured I'm going to be... I'm not going to be able to get out of here. And sure enough, they're over... It was close to a foot of snow on the ground by the time noon rolled around. And there were two other people in the building who needed a ride home, but I was driving on to Civic. I'm not getting that thing out of uh, 30 feet, 30 centimeters of snow. So three of us had to shovel. And then one of the neighbors on uh, Lenore came out and helped us shovel because we had to shovel out. Uh, we had to carve a path into the back lane, out to Lenore, and then out to Portage Avenue. And just as we were almost finishing the shoveling, a plow came by and left a massive windrow. So we then had to shovel that. It took us almost three hours. Oh, my word. Oh, boy. But if, if it not for the, the four of us coming together. Sure. Uh, I was very envious of our old colleague, uh, Dave Dueck, who later rolled up in like a Colorado avalanche and just <laughs> plowed through all the snow, made me rethink my automobile choice. Greg, just very quickly, what about you? Well, it's uh, it's not even close for me. It was the, the week that my mom passed away. From the moment that she passed away at the hospital, the way my friends were there for me, to the day of her funeral when we distributed well over two dozen bundles of flowers, bouquets to different hospitals and different hospital wards around the city, and the extra food that we delivered to HSC, to the emergency room. It was just, it could have been the worst time of my life, but because of my friends and the family and the way we all came together, it's actually a very fond memory in the end. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Loren McNabb is in Portage La Prairie because it was one year ago this week that southern Manitoba got walloped by that massive snowstorm, and Portage La Prairie in particular was one area that was hard hit. And uh, Loren, by the way, what time did you roll into the PLP? I got down to the PLP, uh, you know me, around uh, 545, 540. <laughs> Cruised around, went up and down one of the streets that I know had a lot of its trees taken, much like Winnipeg, so much of its canopy lost. And uh, I'm going to be here for a few more hours yet. So if anyone has good breakfast recommendations for PLP. <laughs> there it is. Where's gotta, the bacon? Got to get my bacon shout out in, Brett. <laughs> I had a girl. Hopefully you find some. I think the last time you were on the road, you said you wanted some bacon, but you and didn't end I up didn't. getting it. Yeah. I know. I, you know. I got no one to blame but myself there. So. Okay. Well, hopefully the bacon finds its way into your belly. <laughs> you this know what? If, it, if, if it's delivered to me, I will eat it. <laughs> <laughs> An iconic downtown staple is officially closing its doors, Loren, after nearly uh, 100 years in yes. business. That's right. The Bay has announced its downtown Winnipeg location is no longer viable. Global News anchor Kevin Hirschfield brings us more. So HBC says it's because of shifting consumer behaviors that have changed how and where customers are shopping these days. Now, the downtown location is one of the Bay's original six stores. The 515,000-square-foot store on Portage Avenue has been open since 1926. While HBC says Winnipeg remains an important market for their brand, they will continue to focus on the Polo Park and St. Vitale Mall locations as well as online shopping. 
HBC says it remains open to working with the city and partners to find opportunities for the landmark building. It also says all eligible employees will receive an employment separation package and it will do its best to find transfer opportunities. Now it's about looking ahead to the future of the space. Really, the work right now is about coming up with a redevelopment plan and finding those private partners who are interested at giving the bay some kind of new life, a different use. And it really could be renovated for all kinds of uses, whether it's residential office and maybe we would like to see some degree of main floor retail continue. Winnipeg Mayor Brian Bowman calling the news disappointing, but he says it's clear the company wants to work with the community on the next steps for the building. Hudson's Bay Company will close its Portage Avenue location in February of 2021. Dr. Gino D'Astasio is Director of the Institute of Urban Studies and Vice President of Research and Innovation at the University of Winnipeg. He joins us now. Good morning, Gino. Good morning. We always appreciate you taking some time. Over 500,000 square feet. That, that's gigantic. Can you help us understand just how large that, that space is? Well, think about it now. The average store is probably, you know, 20, 30,000 square feet, even Ikea, uh, maybe a couple hundred thousand square feet. So it was a flagship store. I mean, this is when department store brands really wanted to demonstrate that they were in control of the retail market in the communities that they put these iconic buildings in. Gina, I know there's an emotional attachment to this building, but we need to be realistic about that space here. And in the story we just played, we heard the voice of Angela Matheson of Centre Venture, and she spoke of redevelopment. When Eaton's closed, there was plenty of discussions about what the building could be if money wasn't an issue, if money wasn't an issue. Is re- mm-hmm. redevelopment a realistic option here of that size of space? Well, you know, at this point, it's our only option, uh, other than the wrecking ball at some point, if if decisions can't be made over the years. We've got a massive building here and we're going into uh, times of economic uncertainty. So the chances of too many suitors stepping forward right away with with big plans is going to be hard to come by, I think. So we really got to put our collective heads together and see how is it possible to save this landmark iconic building, if it's possible, and whether or not... uh, you know, Winnipeggers want to stomach a potential major investment by the three levels of government to pull something like this off. Is there value in the physical structure, whether it's, you know, given its location or perhaps in its facade? Well, absolutely. You know, I mean, these are buildings, this is, you know, in, in the North American context, a building hitting 100 years. Think about this, a building hitting almost 100 years that it's had the same continuous use as a department store. If you look across Winnipeg, there's not too many buildings that have survived 100 years of the same use. So it is one of those cases where it's going to be important that we come together to think about how Winnipeggers want to see that building go, whether we want to, as a community, invest in that future, and or whether or not we've got a really deep-pocketed set of entrepreneurs that want to take on a complex project. That's going to be the, the question here. There have been some conversations over the years, Gino, about how to best redevelop that space and and save its landmark facade and to basically have it look uh, exactly the way it does, more or less from the outside. 
but also some ideas to essentially that would be the only thing that would be left is to sort of hollow out the middle and uh, to use uh, the incredible windows uh, out onto either Portage Avenue and Memorial Boulevard and to and to establish almost like a courtyard with a with a skylight sort of situation into the middle, create a, a courtyard situation. Uh, what would you like to see? I'm sure you've you've fantasized about what you would do if if money wasn't an option and someone handed you the keys to to re redevelop that building. Yeah, one of the good things about the building is the bones are just completely solid. We're talking, you know, poured concrete, steel. So it is a the, the physical structure itself is a massive hulking piece of concrete. So it can be adapted in a, in a number of different ways. It's just going to be really taking on the cost. But we also have to ask ourselves, what is the cost of not preserving parts of our history? But again, this is one of those examples where at over 500,000 square feet, it's going to be hard. But Lauren mentioned one thing, too, that like Eaton's, there's something else about these buildings that really draws back to them especially for older Winnipeggers including myself you know just over 50 we've got emotional attachments to these spaces when downtown was the place people went to for shopping and visiting and just strolling and I think that that attachment is lost on some of our younger generations that don't really understand what it meant to go downtown on a Saturday right so that emotional attachment is going to be important in whether we preserve the facade or whether we can we can go at it by turning it into partly condos, retail, who knows, water slides, all the rest. I'm sure there's going to be no shortage of ideas coming forward. Did you say water slides? I was just about to jump in there. He didn't do it, did he? <laughs> oh, I had to. Just, you know, from the arena debate, I just, I love that idea. I mean, it's it's one of those wacky things. And we've got to have some, you know, we've got to be a, a little bit of a, a, of a dreamer in some ways to just get the ideas flowing here, right? And, and see as a community, what, what can we rally behind and, and feel comfortable with and tax dollars are going to be at a premium in terms of expenditures on things like this. So we know it's tough times out there right now, but on the same hand, let's, let's take a moment and just reflect back on an interesting history and as the community say, it's okay to dream to have uh, a mix and match of things on uh, a pretty important corner for our city. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we are giving away a $100 gift card for Enigma Escapes based on your text messages on teamwork. And Liz has sent a really nice text here. And we want you to send us your stories about teamwork. Liz says, my teamwork was when I was a department manager at Walmart. And we would have customers who would always come in shopping and they would rip open underwear packages, socks, T-shirts, etc. So for months we collected them after being written off. And in December, a bunch of us went into a big meeting room and we sorted them for size and gender. There was hygiene items, candies, etc., etc. But once we got them wrapped and we were going to take them all to Silo Mission and thought... Oh my God, how are we going to do this? Because we would have needed a lot of cars. So I got a hold of my brother, who was a transit driver at the time, to see if they could help us out. Well, they did with the driver, my brother, and donated a bus. And we filled the whole bus with a few seats left for us. And when we pulled up at the back to unload, to see the excitement of the people's faces, seeing all these Christmas presents, uh, that was enough to melt our hearts. That's fantastic. What a great story. That is cool. Liz, thank you so much for sharing that. So keep those stories coming at 204-780-6868. We will give away 
the Enigma Escapes gift card just after 9.15. Loren McNabb is in Portage La Prairie this morning, the PLAP. Is that better, Harry? Listener oh, Harry. Is Harry mad about that? Harry says everyone in Portage La Prairie is laughing at us because we said the PLP. Plap. He yeah. wants plap? Yeah, is it Plapio? Plap? Is it plap? Plap, plap. plap. Lorenz and Portage La Prairie, plap, plap, plap. It doesn't roll better? off the tongue the same, and it doesn't rhyme with the song, and I can't go PLAP, yeah, you know me. <laughs> so, Harry, I hear you. I hear you. I'm going to do my best to plap it up. This week marks one year since southern Manitoba took a beating from an unusually early and hefty October snowstorm. And for those just tuning in, Loren McNabb, where do you find yourself this morning? Well, I'm out in Portage La Prairie this morning. This was one of many communities outside Winnipeg that saw an influx of hydro workers, uh, dozens of them move in for about two weeks because the damage was so extensive. They had to set up makeshift camps here and other places like Ashern and Ardberg just to go get those lines up and running. And I'm reminded as I drive north of Portage just how incredible that destruction was, row after row, mile after mile uh, of poles down and twisted metal and trees fallen. It was really an incredible scene uh, just shy of a year ago, Greg, and I know we're trying to take a look back on that and documenting all that uh, we lost in that time. If you were here, you remember it well. Global's Brittany Greenslade has posted a story to cgob.com and globalnews.ca slash Winnipeg. All sorts of images attached to that. It's entitled, Looking Back One Year After Manitoba's 2019 Storm. Brittany Greenslade joins us live now on the start. Good morning, Brittany. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Doing all right. We're going to ask you to put your weather specialist cap on (laughs) and recap some of the snowfall totals that we saw across southern Manitoba that fateful Thanksgiving weekend a year ago. Yeah, it was pretty incredible when you look back on it. Um, I mean, I was working that whole weekend like so many of us were. Um, 74 centimeters that flew, uh, that fell in Carberry and other areas of Manitoba there. in Inside uh, the city here in Winnipeg, we got just, just over 35 centimeters. Um, but it was really because it was this heavy, heavy, wet snow. And the reason this storm was so significant was because we still, like now, had all of those leaves on the trees. So it made the snow that fell on top of it extra heavy when it landed on those limbs and branches. Plus we had, uh, you know, significant winds that went along with it as well. So while we had a couple days lead up uh, from our weather specialists and meteorologists who warned us about the storm that was coming, uh, I think very few people realized how significant it really was going to be. Yeah, I was talking to a resident in Portage La Prairie, Brittany, who talked about, you know, when you woke up the next day, he's like, it was kind of like a war zone just because it looked like, an ex- you know, so much damage, it was like an explosion or something had happened. What are you hearing from people that when they're looking back? Yeah, it was incredible. We talked to the city forester who said she, you know, was wandering around parts of the city just to get an idea of how bad it was. And you couldn't get down a lot of the streets, which was also a significant issue they had to deal with because emergency vehicles couldn't get down these streets. Um, I talked to Dave Domke, who's the manager of open uh, city parks and open spaces. And he says, you know, it was just all of it was just such a blur that it's hard to remember exactly what everything looked like, but it was significant. I remember seeing just, uh, it, it's almost like a bomb went off in many trees and just shattered them all over the place. You'll just see these trees, they, they look just blown up uh, right across the streets. 
Yeah, the trees, uh, the the damage to those trees, that was extraordinary. I've never seen anything like that, uh, not even close. I know we had a, a windstorm a few years back mm-hmm. that knocked over some trees, but uh, this snowstorm in particular was wild. And in terms of the cost, it wasn't just the trees, uh, Brittany, but also Manitoba Hydro. This was a major, major operation for them. Yeah, like Loren was saying, um, she remembers seeing those hydro transmission towers that were down. That was something that we saw a lot of that I'd never seen before. It essentially looked like they'd been snapped. In Winnipeg, the storm cost about $10 million to clean up. Outside of Winnipeg and for Manitoba Hydro alone, we know power outages hit more than 200 50,000 Manitobans throughout the storm and at its peak 160,000 customers were without power at the height of it. So we talked to Manitoba Hydro Media Relations Officer Bruce Owen who said you know they had to call in teams from all over but just the sheer velocity of what they had to deal with was overwhelming. When you had 4,000 poles snapped or down and all those power lines all those transformers, all those cross arms, all those insulators that had to be fixed. When you have a one wood pole down, it's roughly, you know, $3,3500. So many poles down. The other challenge was when you had so many poles down, we don't have 4,000 poles sitting in a backyard somewhere, sitting in a yard. So obviously, Brittany, the the exercise in replacing these poles was absolutely extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And some of the statistics associated with this storm are absolutely fascinating. The one that jumps out for me is the fact that Manitoba Hydro has a customer base of Mm 593,490 accounts. Over 160,000 of those customers lost power at one point or another during that storm or in the aftermath. Yeah, and so when we talk about just trying to get people power back on, that took Hydro two weeks. One of the biggest issues they had was even getting into the areas that were damaged. So they may have known that a pole was down or a, a transmission tower was down, but there was so much debris and so much damage to even get to those transmission towers. It was the first time they'd actually enacted their mutual aid agreement, which allowed um, them to bring in help from Saskatchewan and Ontario and um, Minnesota. And so a lot of the, the new poles that are around Manitoba are thanks to Saskatchewan. They're Saskatchewan poles. We simply didn't have enough uh, to be able to procure. We didn't have them here, and, and it's a lot of poles to get. Hydro said that storm damage total was $100 million. Wow, it's incredible numbers just to hear them, Brittany. Before we let you go, we just have 30 seconds. The trees, we're still working on much of this. The tree, the damage to our tree canopy in Winnipeg was extensive. What's, what's still underway? Yeah, right now they're doing an assessment. So it actually took them till the end of January to do the cleanup, which is incredible. But they have to now go through every tree that is on city property within Winnipeg and look at the structure of it and assess that. So that's going to take some time. It took them just four weeks to get through the what they called the life-saving areas of things that were really uh, critical. And then they had to go start removing those trees. But now it's an assessment to see what else needs to be removed, if any, and then where do we begin filling those gaps in our tree canopy. Global's Brittany Greenslade joining us live on The Start. Brittany, thank you. Thank you. I'm in the studio at 201 Portage, 30th floor. Greg Mackling is across the table from me behind a sheet of rock glass from unbreakablewindows.com. Jeff Fortier, we're looking at him through a monitor in our control room. And we are speaking to Loren 
how far away exactly are you? Like, what's the distance from Winnipeg to the PLAP? The distance from Winnipeg? That's a good question. When I punched it in when I was on the perimeter this morning, just I wanted to see if I was late. It said 51 minutes. I, that'll be my next question. First question to our next guest. Actually, the first question, Brett, did you call him commander? <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> we were looking at the schedule, and uh, Greg was saying who's coming up in our next segment, and he referred to him as the chief and then the commander and then realized what was happening. So we had to explain that you're on the commander unit, and, and then we thought, well, maybe he would like the commander title better. Well, so. I have to, so I'm in Portage for this one-year anniversary of the storm this week, and a year ago I did interview the chief of the Fort Portage the Prairie Fire Department, guys. I just informed him that you have renamed him the commander and he's okay with it and yes. here's why because phil go ahead and tell us what your actual title is it's pretty long fire chief director of public safety emergency coordinator yeah see exactly. and he, i think he's a bylaw officer or something too after bylaw. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so commander is absolutely perfect yes he he agrees that if this is how we want to name him henceforth we're good to go so i am speaking to commander and portage Prairie fire chief phil carpenter and phil it was a year ago we first met a couple days just after that storm i'm curious how the calls first started coming in to both the department and to the emergency office in terms of what people were seeing and needing. Right, so uh, definitely we got a pre-warning of the storm coming, which was good, and uh, this time they were right with their pre-warning, so uh, lots of wind uh, and some snow on the Thursday, I believe, and then the snow really hit on the Friday. So again, we're dealing with a lot of uh, hydro issues, power lines down, not too many fires, luckily enough, but uh, dealt with those accordingly. Uh, as Friday developed uh, more snow uh, travel, highways were shut down. So now we had to lodge people in our Herman Pryor Center. Uh, quite often in Portage, we're kind of stuck in the middle if you, for travelers, I mean between Brandon and Winnipeg. So we uh, look after that need and shelter them uh, at our local uh, Herman Pryor Center here in Portage. Um, and then as the night went on, more and more snow came, a lot more trees going down, a lot more power lines, poles snapping, towers breaking down. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night on Friday, we have no power at all for the city of Portage. Um, Seven, they tell us there's seven different ways power can be brought into the city of Portage, and all seven of these uh, avenues were destroyed. So now you're thinking if people need us in an emergency, they might not be able to get through. If they're relying on cell service, which was also down, they might not be able to get through. Were you going to people's homes, or was it more those situations where on the road people were trapped and struggling to, to find shelter? There was a bit... Uh, uh, on uh, needing help that were stranded on the highways. Lucky enough, with our tower system in the city of Portage for the cell phones, they had a backup generator for that. So most of our cell phone coverage was covered for the city, which was great. So we were able to uh, keep the communication going. Uh, after we activated our EOC, you know, we were able to update them on... Uh, when the roads were going to get open, uh, approximately, hopefully, when hydro was going to be restored. And so we were able to uh, let them know that, and I think that was important to make sure that, uh, you know, keeping them aware of the current uh, 
situation at hand. Communication is key in yeah. any crisis, right? And people just need to know what's going on and how long it might be. And so that might have been one of the bigger challenges in the sense of just getting being able to get someone on the phone or getting answers to those questions, in addition to just navigating your way around the city that had poles down and trees down and all the rest, Phil. Yeah, that, that's correct, because in talking with other fire chiefs in our local district, that they had no communication because their towers were completely down. They didn't have backup uh, generators like we did, so at least we were able to do that, accomplish that goal. And, um, you know, I, I think by the Saturday evening, we had some of our city restored so example the elderly homes they were able to get the power back to them our hospital so that was key for us to making sure that the, those types of facilities were up and running again within a fairly short time did you sleep at all during those first 48 hours uh i would say it was pretty limited yeah, yeah. And, and when you look back on that you know it's key to remind people that that was october of a storm of that magnitude. If it had been January and we also had temperatures minus 30, minus 40, the, the additional challenges you would have countered, the worry about not getting to places in time would have been exponential. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Uh, we were uh, very thankful of the temperature kind of being as mild as it was and uh, that would have put a whole extra level of uh, you know what was needed by our citizens. So that worked out well. Uh, with the power being out, uh, another huge issue was the, the sewage. So a lot of our lift stations didn't have backup generators. So getting that message out there to limit your use, don't have showers right now. We don't want to overwhelm our systems because we don't have the capabilities of uh, pumping that water sewage down the system. So. That was a key component for us as well. Well, I'm thankful for your time, Phil. We're speaking with Phil Carpenter, Chief of the Portage La Prairie Fire Department, also now forever known as the Commander of the Town, guys. And That's I'll right. send it back to you. <laughs> You're 54 miles from Aldean and Portage Avenue in St. James. Lots of people know that mural on the side of that building yes. of the Tramp. 54 miles. 54 miles to the PLAP as we look back on that big storm that hit southern Manitoba just over, just under one, or I guess over one year ago. It would have started on October 10th. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we are giving away that $100 gift card for Enigma Escapes. We are actually still deliberating as we speak. So I'm going to read a runner-up text from Dusty. And the question was, Tell us stories about teamwork and how unexpected teamwork came through for you. Dusty says the largest display of teamwork I've ever seen has to be a railroad derailment site. Recently in northwestern Ontario, there was a derailment of 50 or more rail cars with over 1,000 feet of track destroyed. There was at least 100 people there from high up management from Calgary to people that were just hired and many contracted truckers and operators all working together. In less than 24 hours, the track was rebuilt and freight was rolling again. Holy Wow, that's wow. amazing. Yeah. How are we going to decide between these three texts? I can't, actually. I just got Brett's text. Which one do you think, Loren? Who wins? And I'm just staring at them both. I like, just tried to paper, rock, scissors myself. Just to see if that would help out. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, I'll make, that, I'll make the call right that's now. That's a new command. I'll make the call Go right now. Go paper, rock, scissors yourself. <laughs> We're going to say Liz is the runner-up. Okay, I will read Liz's text quickly here. Um, my team was... 
My teamwork was when I was a department manager at Walmart. We would have customers who would always come in shopping and they would, r- would rip open underwear packages, socks, T-shirts, etc. So for months we collected them after being written off. And in December, a bunch of us went into a big meeting room and we sorted them from size and sex. Long story short, they wanted to take them to Silo Mission, didn't know how they were going to get them there. They ended up getting a transit bus... And they filled it to the brim, and they dropped it off at Silo Mission. A bus full of stuff. That is just incredible stuff, Liz. But Chris is our winner, Greg. Teamwork. For me, it happened September of 2003. I was leading a group of runners to the In Flanders Fields Marathon in Belgium. The group I was leading raised significant funds for the Arthritis Society. Not only their efforts fundraising, they trained to run in honor of something living, someone rather, living with arthritis. On the flight over, I lost my vision completely. So now instead of me leading the group, I had to rely on this already amazing group of people to help me out big time. They came through big time to help me out. I could never thank them enough. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.